Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through the program which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar, graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing books at the kids' bookstore, and it'd be like the big book of spiders or the big book of snakes. Well, we have a special treat for you today. We have the authors of the big book of HR, which some people might say is the same as spiders and snakes, right? Actually, it's not. I actually interviewed Barbara and Cornelia, I guess about a year ago, when they released their other book, which is called They Said What? Now, that's a great one if you want to read about some of the salacious things that go on in corporate America. But this is a practical book, fools, <laughs> fools full of tools and techniques. They're going to make your job a whole lot easier. So if you're an HR professional that wants to learn more, if you're a manager who needs to learn more, this would be the book for you. The authors are fun to interview. I thoroughly enjoy meeting with them. I think you'll enjoy chatting with them as well. So let's go ahead and let them do the talking. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Make sure that personal item's tucked up underneath the seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Barbara Mitchell and Cornelia Gamlin, welcome back to our show. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here, Mac. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's great. You know, we did our last interview, I guess it was maybe a year ago, and we were talking about your previous book, which was They Did What? Some of the salacious stories of corporate America, which nowadays, I guess we're going to be seeing, you know, what kinds of things have you seen on Zoom since you know, most people are not in the office anymore. But we're, we're talking today about the 10th anniversary edition of your book, which is the Big Book of HR, which I happen to have a copy of right here. This sucker's big. It's like the size of a phone book, <laughs> but not like the big yellow pages. For people that don't remember phone books, they were perfect because you could sit your kids on them at the dinner table, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, they had all kinds of uses in addition to being a phone book. Yeah, but that said, it seems to me that any book on HR would always be a big book. And the question is, how big is big? This seems like there's a lot of meat in it. So we want to talk about the book itself. And uh, before we do, though, for those that did not get a chance to hear our last episode together, I was hoping both of you could just talk a little bit about your backgrounds, how you guys met, and some of the things you've done together. And then we'll dive into what's inside of this massive edition. Sure. Well, we met 
through the HR community here in Washington, D.C., where I happen to still live. Cornelia moved out west a while ago, but uh, we met years ago through uh, the HR community and did some work together and became colleagues and friends. And then uh, now we have done several books together. And as I like to say, we are still friends. We're still speaking to each other after uh, the ups and downs of, of really working together, which on, on a book like this uh, really takes a great deal of, of cooperation and collaboration. Yeah, when, when we, first, uh, we first started writing together, it was almost a fluke. Um, Barbara had signed the contract and then the, uh, the publisher came back and said, well, you had like five months to write it. And she's gone, I can't write a book this size in five months. Are you interested in collaborating with me? And, you know, not realizing what I was walking into, the positives and negatives, I said, sure. But, you know, that was that was over 10 years ago. And um, here we are, what, five books later, plus two rewrites. And uh, we're still working at it. Well, how do you do that together? Do each of you decide to take, you know, every other chapter or do you critique each other's work? How does I've never co-authored anything. I'm just kind of curious how it works. It well, we think it depends a, on yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, as I was say, it depends on the nature of the book because the books have been different. Like with the big book of HR, it was actually easy because we could kind of go down the the topics and say, you know, I'd go, I Barbara, you know, your your strong points are in talent acquisition, minor in employee relations, and and we could, you know, we were able to divide and conquer the work that way. Um, when we worked on another book, the manager's answer book, which is just literally a series of questions and answers and we're in the process of working on another one like that um you know it's similar we go gotta come up with a question write it and you know then let, let let's kind of bring it all together in in that fashion but um yeah it, it just really depends on the nature of, of how the work gets divided well at least the two of you can get along because i can only imagine if you didn't like your co-author god you'd be <laughs> scribbling out each other's sentences and changing words and well, I think that's the key, Mac, that, that we respect each other's expertise and we don't get in each other's way. It's rare that one of us says, I think you ought to change this to this. Uh, we might give a comment or uh, you know, a compliment, but we tend to, uh, we each have different strengths and we value those strengths. So let's go back to when you did the first version of this. So that would have been 10 years ago. What was the inspiration for that book? The inspiration for that book was the publisher. I had done a previous book called the uh, Essential HR Handbook, a, a small book. And the publisher came back and said, would you do a uh, soup to nuts kind of uh, HR compendium? Sort of similar. It's, it's at the time when the... The dummy series, remember those dummy books? The books for dummies, yeah. Right, so they wanted something that was sort of HR for dummies, but not called that. So that's where it came from. Uh, I lovingly say that it's HR, if we talk about it from hiring to firing and everything in between, that's what this book is, and so much more than, than that. But that's where the impetus came from. The publisher wanted something to compete with HR for dummies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, I love the dummy books, but as a dummy, I felt somewhat insulted by some of those books, you know? So 
the thing is, I would imagine there are some dumb HR people. I've not yet met any. Met a lot of dumb managers, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, so on that note, who is the ideal audience for this book? It's probably, you know, obviously the HR professional. And, you know, even if you're, you've been in the profession for a while, there are things that change. There are things that you may not be dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So it's, you know, it's a good reference to just pick it up as, as a refresher. But we would also hope that, you know, managers would pick it up as well. You know, it, it kind of going back to your comment, sometimes managers don't know what they don't know. And I, I think this book can be very helpful for them to understand, you know, not only what HR does, but the fact that HR is about managing people. And that's not just an, a, a, you know, a, HR professionals' responsibility. It's a manager's responsibility as well. And so many organizations don't have HR support. And so a manager may be on his or her own and not know how to handle something. And we think our book can provide that information for them. They can pick it up and read a chapter that is handling the issue that's right now in front of them. Uh, It isn't the kind of book you read from cover to cover. You pick what it is that you need to know at that time. Uh, so, so many managers, so many small businesses, uh, the manager, the owner is uh, on their own. And yeah, so we, no. can, we can help. I believe that. So when you started the 10th edition, what was challenging about doing that? Did you look at your old book and say, well, we got to change this? Or what was the biggest challenge in putting together a 10th anniversary edition? Well, you know, when we first started talking to the publisher, that that was it. You know, what's changed? And we did start going through the book and saying, you know, right, what, you know, are the things in here that, you know, they may still be good, but are there more relevant topics we have to add? What needs to be updated? Because a lot had changed. But what I like to say is that the ink wasn't even dry on the contract, which was signed, I think, in February of 2020. And then guess what happened? The pandemic hit. And everything changed from there. You know, everybody was sent home. And there were so many conversations that Barbara and I would have where we'd be working on, you know, one of us would be writing something and pick up the phone and go, All right, what do we do now? Because like, we really don't know by the time this book comes out, what things are going to look like. You know, we, because we were beyond that point where, All right, this thing isn't lasting just, you know, three or four weeks. It's, you know, we're months into this and we still don't know how the world is going to change. So, you know, we had to kind of get a crystal ball out and say, this is what we think is going to happen. You know, these are, we were seeing some of the impacts and some of the things that were starting to change, but you didn't know if that was going to continue, um, you know, into the future. And I mean, I have to say, I think we both did a, a pretty good job of dealing with some of those issues. Because uh, I think we, we kind of came to the consensus that we're going to move into a hybrid workplace. And that is going to be the future because once people get a taste of it, they're not going to want to go back to the way things were. So th- that was probably our biggest challenge is, is how to position some of these topics in, in light of the change that we were in the midst of. That's that's something that's interesting because it's like you know you do it, it might be nostalgic five years from now to read a book and say wow remember those days back then and maybe one day we'll look back with a sense of nostalgia and there might be some things that you missed about when mm-hmm. we were all huddled together with family but at some point people are going to be way out there and say wow remember back when 
when we had this and all those precautions and boy, even the HR community, they have this book and all these different things. I mean, my hope is that it totally goes back to pre-pandemic. And then we look at this and yeah. say, boy, we really did stress over that thing until we finally licked it. That's my hope. Yeah. But the beauty of this is that it's relevant today. And the topics that are relevant on the minds of HR professionals today are largely around that. I mean, there are new initiatives around DE&I. Certainly the hybrid workforce is something we're struggling with. But the big news is this great resignation, which, you know, I, I can tell you, even me, I thought, wow, why am I doing this? I could be doing something else now. If I had a job, I might quit. Of course, I am the job, so I can't quit me because I'll still see myself in the mirror every morning. So I don't have that privilege. But I'd like to hear more about what your perspectives are and some of those real hot topics. I'd like to start with the great resignation. What are you seeing from your world and where are things going to go in, in your opinions? We certainly are seeing it and we're great observers of, of this, but we like to really turn it around as quickly as we possibly can and talk about this is an opportunity for the great retention. Uh, if organizations really start, or managers start thinking about why are people leaving? And there's some real trends that we're seeing. People are leaving because they're not feeling valued. They're leaving or they're not wanting to go back to where things were because their company is not treating them or their organization is not treating them as if they are a human being, not just an employee. And so we think there are some things that organizations can do not to probably stop all of this that's going on, but certainly to be able to make an impact and keep some of the very important people that are, are uh, now working for you that you really cannot do your business without. Uh, and so we, we like, and we're, we're sort of that kind of people anyway, looking at the what, what can we do to make it better rather than focusing on, oh dear, what are we gonna do now? Well, there's some very simple things to do in, around communication, around really letting people know that, that you, you really, really care about them as a person. And that's, it seems like such a simple thing to say, but it's very difficult for a lot of managers to put themselves out there and to have those kind of conversations. And we think if people feel as if they're valued, if they are being able to develop their skills, that's a huge thing that people are looking for now. How can I get better? And if my company is not giving me those opportunities, I'm going to go find someplace that is. And so that's how managers have to think. They have to think, what, what can we do differently? And we think there are some things in, in, in our book as well as just in, in the consulting work that we do to help managers make good decisions to keep as many of their people for as long as they can. You know, I think back in the years of the recession, which would have been probably shortly before your first edition of this mm -hmm. came out. And I did some outplacement work back in those days in the Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, some of the horror stories of people with the massive layoffs and the you know, hey, I, I came in and tried to log into my computer and my password won't work. Oh, well, I forgot to tell you, you're fired. Or you walk in your office and there's a big box and you put all your shit in the box and then you take it home with you. So that's how people were treated. And I don't think people forgot. And it's no. ironic now that we're in this other place where we are begging employees to come in and we're giving them all these perks and all that. 
I've been around long enough to see pendulums go back and forth. I would imagine you have too. Where, where do we go from here? I mean, at what point are we going to, you know, have managers paying us 20 times our salary to keep us when 10, 12 years ago or however many years ago, but when the recession, it's like, yeah, you know, we'll just keep you dangling for months waiting for me to call you back about your interview. Cause I can, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like we're a, a society of extremes. Where do we go from here with that? Yeah. I think that's some of the positives that have come out from, from the experience of the pandemic and this great recession is that hopefully there's an awareness and if it hasn't reached the top of the organization yet, the frontline managers are seeing this, that we can't go back to the way things were. And, and, and it's not just a matter of, I'll let people work from home. It's employees now are expecting to be, to have more participation in the decisions that are being made, especially decisions that are going to affect them. And, and that, you know, how the work is getting done, when, when the work gets done, what some of the benefits are that need to be delivered to, to people. And, you know, there's also that realization that we can't treat people the way we once did. You know, you, you talked about the, yeah, I'll, I'll get back, you know, I'll interview you again. You know, if you're lucky, I'll hear from you in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, where you uh, pray for the rejection email that, just to hear that, something. Know yeah. something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think you know, now they're going, wait a minute, why aren't people responding to our ads? Or, you know, I've interviewed somebody and now they're bailing on us. I mean, they, they're not even showing up and they don't even call us. You know, it's kind of like, oh, the shoe's on the other foot. And, you know, and, and not that that's a good way to operate. You know, you should always get back to people on both sides. But I think there's more of an awareness of, we can't continue to operate the way we were and we've got to really look at you know how this affects all of our processes and how it affects just how we manage people because we can't go back to the old ways of managing managing the people and managing our businesses and you know i think the companies that succeed are the ones that are going to realize that and you know it's not going to be an overnight change it's not going to shift right away but, you know, I think that's starting to become those aha moments and hopefully that gets embedded into cultures. And it's all about the way, you know, you're treating the people that that are really going to drive the success of your business. Yeah, I think it is a whole new appreciation for people's not just work life, but home life as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, on that note, that kind of leads us to the the next big thing that's going on, and that is the hybrid workforce. And I know early in the, the months of the pandemic, once we realized that it wasn't going to go away in a few weeks, then you had companies making these big pronouncements. Well, we are going to be virtual forever. And I even a couple of our clients said that. And then it's like you're starting to see them walk those promises back. And so there is going to be, in many cases, a hybrid, a little of this, a little of that. I think in some cases we'll be back to, no, you're all going to be back in the office because that's the way we run our company. Where are you seeing HR's role in these decisions and in how this entire thing is going to take place over the next few years? Assuming now, like we are with fingers crossed that, you know, COVID is on the canvas and it's about ready to be counted out, we're hoping, but it always seems to get back up, you know, maybe it'll stay down this time. Where do we go now? Well, we hope that where HR is in all of this is right in the middle of the decision-making process with our organizations. We've seen organizations make the pronouncements that 
you mentioned about, uh, okay, our business is we want you all back in the office. And many of those organizations are the ones that began, they suffered early in the great resignation because the employees said, uh-uh, we're not coming back full time into your office. And so now there's a lot of uh, what should we do? What, what are the best things for our business, for our employees? So HR should be right in the middle of those decisions and talking to people and finding out what it is that they really value. And I'm, I'm seeing so much of this now that it is not as much about, I wanna work from home, but what I really value is flexibility in my schedule. And if you can give me flexibility where I can work at the, the hours that really work for me and my family, then then I don't maybe I don't mind going into the office if I've got that kind of flexibility. So I think we're going to begin to see more of a shift of less of uh, working from home, and that's always going to continue. I think we now know that that's where people are productive from home, people, uh, organizations survived, obviously, the last couple of years. But it's flexibility that really they value, employees value. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it. And a little bit of chance to control their own destiny. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, it, and it seems too, like, you know, now we're working based on results, not how, you know, like, oh, don't leave the boss's cars in the parking. I remember when I worked at a trade association in DC, it's like, crap, my office is right across from the bosses and I had nothing to do. Right. I have to wait for him to be gone so I could sneak out of there. Like what a waste to sit here for an hour staring at a computer screen when I have an hour long Metro ride to go on. Exactly. But now it's like, it's task-based, it's, yes, it's right, results-based. Yes. And, and I think that's the nature, that should be the nature of work, And it's right? when, when do I do my best work? Uh, I think that is such a key. and. I remember years ago, we talked about the, the hours that we were most productive. And I, I love that idea. And it really never went anywhere where organizations valued that. But I think now we're going to see that, that if the best time for me to work is between 12 and, and 2 a.m., who cares if the work is getting done? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess as long as customers are called back, because right. as a customer, there's nothing more frustrating than Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember when my daughter moved to St. Louis, the leasing agent was in that flex arrangement. So my daughter would send her an email during the day about her apartment contract, and then the person would respond at two in the morning. And then my daughter would respond at six in the morning, and she'd have to wait till the next morning. So yeah. obviously that does not work. But I think in many cases, what we do could be flexible. So the flexible workplace, yeah. do you see it as the future of work? I would say most definitely, okay. most definitely, you know, to, to the extent you're in an industry where you can be flexible, you know, we, we, we end up talking a lot about, you know, professional services and people who are, who are bound to the office. You know, you also have to recognize that there are other industries like healthcare and hospitality where uh, you, you can't enjoy that same degree of flexibility. But I think to some extent it may catch on and say people may want more flexible schedules in terms of, Maybe, you know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, they work these hours and Tuesdays and Thursdays. They work these, you know, just as an example, to, to give them a little bit more time to deal with, you know, family issues and, and things like that. But, you know, if you're in a job that's tied to a place um, or, or tied to providing a service, like a, a hairdresser I once had was asking me, if, you know, she said some of her employees wanted flex time, but they expected to be paid. And I said, well, 
how do they get paid if they're not cutting somebody's hair or, you know, <laughs> actually doing the work? She, she was saying, how do other companies do it? I said, companies do it because people are sitting at a computer and sitting at a desk and they can work from anywhere. I said, it's kind of hard to cut my hair from anywhere. <laughs> so so, so you're gonna, I think you're going to see some of the, those uh, those issues that may crop up. But, you know, it, it, in terms of when jobs can be and when the work can be, performed at any time and it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more flexibility there. Customer service, yes, you may be required to be more available during, you know, during times that you expect people to be calling and, and dealing with them. But, you know, we, as we've also seen too, you know, you, you can do that for many time zones. So you can have a lot of shifts that way as well. And we're also seeing something that, that, maybe 10 or 15 years ago was talked about a lot, but didn't really happen much. Now things like job sharing is being discussed again. Yeah. So if I'm in a customer service job uh, and I can do a sharing with somebody, I work mornings and they work afternoons and the customer is served for the whole day. Uh, this, this can be, that that's creative, creative flexibility. Uh, and I think we're hopefully going to see a lot of that kind of stuff where people are really thinking, how can we make this work for everyone? Good. Well, another area that's a hot topic now is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So from just where you've seen since the first edition to now, what is different? What are the priorities? What should we be focusing on? That's an area that I've been looking at for many, many years. I mean, and part of me wants to say, the issues are still there, but people are finally realizing what the issues are. Um, so much of the talk you hear is about how do we have a more diverse workforce? How do we bring you know more diversity in the door? And then it stops there. And, and it kind of makes me a little bit nuts because I go, that that's just the beginning. You know, it, it's not just about your representation, you know. Um, what what the the demographics of the workforce look like it really goes beyond that it goes into first of all how you say you're going to treat people you know and and, and giving the opportunities to everybody uh, you know which, which is really like equal employment opportunity when you talk about equity does everybody have access to all of the same opportunities you know access for advancement access for training um, it, it, it really is that holistic approach. And then it really ends with inclusion because you can have all the policies in the world and you can say all of these things. Um, but how are you living it? And it, it, it gets back into, if I take the policies and I integrate them into my values, how do we make sure we're living our values within this organization? And I think that's where it, it sometimes falls short. You know, pe people suddenly go, all right, we've, We've had a lot of, you know, a lot of examples in the past two years around social justice issues. We've got to start talking about race in the workplace. Totally agree. So the first thing they do is, well, let's go do diversity training. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just kind of like sexual harassment training. You can train people all you want, but what are you going to do after the training is done to really make sure that the behaviors you want to see in your workplace that support all these efforts um, are happening. And, and that, that's where it really gets into management stepping up and, and, and really embracing it, not so much as the, the top, you know, the current topic, 
but really how do we embrace the behaviors that are associated with that topic and make that part of, of our overall culture? What I think companies often fail to see, and, you know, and especially when, when we get into talking about this a lot, is that diver your diversity and equity and inclusion efforts should really be looked at as an initiative. It, it isn't something that starts and stops. It isn't something that just affects one portion of the workplace. It's really, it, it's really all inclusive, and and it's something that you have to keep going. You know, it, it's it's things like what do we do to support the communities around us, and and to make sure that. Um, maybe we're tapping into some of those communities, first of all, as talent pools that we've never thought about, but what can we do to enhance those communities? Um, so so they, because they may be our customers, they may be our clients, and they may be our future employees. So what kind of support can, can we provide to that? And, and, and those are all ongoing kinds of issues that uh, companies really need to embrace, and, and they really need to take a step back and kind of look at at diversity in a much more holistic way than I think what we're talking about right now. Do you envision there's a time in the future where we wouldn't even use DE and I, DE and I as a thing? I mean, like we could have said, you know, a hundred years ago, running water. Yeah. Oh my God, you have running water? That's amazing. We need running water. Yeah. Now running water we take for granted. Do you ever see in the future where we wouldn't even talk about these things because we're immersed in diversity without even making it a thing? Is, is that possible? I would love to say yes, um, but I've also seen us slipping in so many areas too as a society recently that you kind of, you know, you sort of scratch your head and say, how did we get back here? Um, you know, the ideal would be, and, 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 and my hope for the future is a lot of the people in the younger generations, they get this, you know, they, they're not just talking about how many people do I bring in the door, but they, they're talking about how are people being treated in my organization. And I think they're going to be more demanding about what organizations do. Um, they're going to be looking at it and saying, you know, Okay, yeah, you may you may offer me a good salary, but you know, what's your standing in the community? What are people saying around your, you know, if there was such a thing as a DEI index? Um, where does that fall? You know, they're going to be talking to other people and say, you know, how do you treat people who are perhaps in disadvantaged uh, classes? And 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 this is, you know, this isn't just the, you know, the people of color who are going to be looking at this. It's the people, you know, it's the younger professionals who are white. Uh, but they don't want they don't want to work in an organization where people are treated, you know, poorly. So I, I think that's going to be, you know, ju just like, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, people want flexibility. People want to work in these kinds of, of workplaces. And I think they're going to be a lot more demanding. So that's my hope for the future that we may be able to turn turn some of this around. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop being optimistic that it's going to happen. Um, but but I also want to you know raise some cautions to some of the, some of the young folks and say stay at it because we've again like you've said we've seen so many shifts in the economy we've seen shifts in our society too and you know they've got the big burden to carry this forward. Well, you know it's I think back when I was in the Navy and of course the Navy helped put sexual harassment on the map 
back in the early 90s with Tailhook. And it yes. was right around the time that Clarence Thomas was getting grilled yeah. about that as well. Yeah. And I used to, as a collateral duty, teach sexual harassment prevention every year to the command. And, you know, it's like when Tailhook hit, I thought, okay, this is out. This will never happen again. And then just this past year, all the services are being grilled because of sexual harassment. That's been, you know, with 30 years, 31 years or whatever it is. How, how do you forget that sexual harassment's not acceptable? So I think for the same reason, you know, maybe the future is not going to be, you know, utopia in yeah. organizations with DE&I because there's always going to be someone that says, hey, that looks like a good idea. Why don't I try that and see what happens? You yeah. know, yeah. it uh, sounds like you've been listening in on a lot of our conversations. And how many times have we said, why don't people get the fact that this is not a good idea in the workplace? Uh, why do we still have to have sexual harassment training or talk about DEI? Because people just don't get it. It isn't that they don't hear it, they don't know about it, but they just, for some reason, don't think that it doesn't doesn't matter to them, or they're not they're not bound by it. So, don't think it's going away, but we hope that it is diminished and improves. Good. Well, as we wind down our time together today, and again, I'm going to encourage anybody who's listening today to go out and get this book, whether you know everything or you know nothing or somewhere in between. But for the person who is kicking the tires on a career in HR, maybe they're in their second year of college, they're undecided, they, they started out wanting to be an electrical engineer and then realized that math is too hard. And now they're thinking, hmm, I wonder if HR, that sounds like a fun place. Uh, what advice would you have for the person who's thinking about going down this path? Well, I would say this is, there's been no better time to be in HR than right now, even though our lives are extraordinarily complicated and complex. But this is a time when HR is value has gone up uh, exponentially in the workplace because there's so much happening that HR is involved in right now. So if you're thinking about HR, this is a great time, but don't overlook the fact that HR is a very complicated field. It isn't nearly as simple as so many people that I've worked with over the years who said, well, Susie, why don't we put Susie into HR? Because she likes people. Uh, <laughs> bad, bad decision. Uh, if you like people to start, you may not like them at the end of your <laughs> job career. But it is a fascinating field and it impacts every part of business. So if you are thinking about it, go for it. But know that it's uh, it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's you're going to work hard, but you're going to also add real value to your organization. Right. Well, the last question I have is, how do we get a copy of this book, and how can we reach out to each of you if we want to talk a little bit more? Well, the the book's available obviously on Amazon and and every other big book bookseller. So wherever you, you choose to make your purchases, we, we would encourage you to go there, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can visit our website, www.bigbookofhr. Um, you can contact us directly through the website. You can click on links to buy not just this book, but all of our books um, through the website. And we have a blog that, that we certainly invite you to, to read and to comment on. And 
we really hope to hear from you. Our, our social media links are on the website. So, you know, please connect with us on LinkedIn. That, that's where we spend a lot of our time on social media. And uh, we'd be happy to accept your invitations. Wonderful. If you're listening today, the book is The Big Book of HR, the 10th Anniversary Edition by Barbara Mitchell, Cornelia Gamlin. Hey, thank you both so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show. If you have not heard their previous interview where we talked about they did what, you must listen to that and get that book. That is full of some amazing stories. Barbara, Cornelia, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mac. We've enjoyed it. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.